Like the office they commemorate, presidential libraries are living institutions. Certainly it is my hope that the Reagan Library will become a dynamic intellectual forum where scholars interpret the past and policymakers debate the future. Welcome to a Reagan Forum, hosted by the Ronald Reagan Presidential Foundation and Institute. The Center for Public Affairs offers lectures and forums presenting perspectives on important public policy issues of the day from politicians, authors, members of the media, business and military leaders, and more. In this week's Reagan Forum podcast, we go back just over a week to our October 21st, 2023 in-person program with top-rated talk radio host and best-selling author Mark Levin for a conversation on his latest book, The Democratic Party Hates America. Mark Levin is a very busy man. In addition to hosting one of the top-rated daily radio shows, he hosts Fox News' channels Life, Liberty, and Levin every Sunday, Mark Levin TV on CRTV Daily, and all of his books quickly hit the bestsellers list. While at the Reagan Library, Mark was joined in conversation by Reagan Foundation and Institute President and CEO David Trulio to discuss what Mark calls the radically dangerous democratic agenda that is upending American life. During the conversation, Mark Levin discusses the destruction he believes this country is facing and rallies Americans to defeat the threat he sees in front of us. Let's listen. You know, I gotta tell you something. We sat there and we, my wife and I, you folks came through, the book signing, and I turned to her at the end, I said, we are so blessed to meet each and every one of you, such fantastic patriots, every one of you so concerned about the future of the country like we are. So I want to thank you for being here, and God bless each and every one of you, seriously. So Mark, let's, let's dive in, let's, let's put the context right. Early in your book, you state, quote, long ago, the Democrat Party evolved into an anti-American political and cultural entity. That is not to say that there are no Democrat Party officials and, of course, party members who are patriots. However, they are increasingly the exception to the rule. At the highest levels of the Democrat Party are individuals who are dragging our nation into their Marxist paradise. People ask me all the time, why is this happening to our country? Don't these Democrat politicians and their friends care about our country? The answer is power. That's what you said, unquote, power. So please share with us, Mark, what is this pursuit of power all about? And describe the totalitarian mindset you cite in your book at page 23. The basic premise of the book is a factual premise that the Democrat Party is really an alien entity in the American Republic. It's not just a political party. It's an autocratic party. And what does that mean? We wouldn't have had a civil war but for the Democrat Party that was defending slavery. We wouldn't have had a hundred years of segregation but for the Democrat Party. We wouldn't have had eugenics in this country but for the Democrat Party. We wouldn't have had Jim Crow in this country but for the Democrat Party. We wouldn't have had so much hateful, awful, bloodlust in this country if it wasn't for the Democrat Party. And why is that? Because the establishment of the Democrat Party shortly thereafter has never embraced the, the 
Declaration of Independence. It has never embraced the Constitution. So what is this party? This party is very much like an autocratic European party. These people today wake up every day trying to figure out how to get around the Constitution, how to undermine individualism, private property rights, how to undermine republicanism, small-r republicanism, whether it's the Supreme Court, which they've taken multiple runs at, whether it is immigration, where the border is wide open, no, no society can survive that, whether it is the destruction of local law enforcement, uh, whether it is the brainwashing of children by getting in between parents and children, whatever it is, you can't tell me this is a party that believes in the country when every step of the way, whether it's the culture, whether it's the voting system, whether it's the governing system, they don't want to play inside the sandbox. They want to blow it up. And so this is not a normal political party. It is an autocratic party that seeks to centralize power, centralize decision-making. And like any other autocratic party throughout the world, it'll talk about the people, democracy, the little guy. We want everybody to vote. But in the end, what that's all about is camouflage for the real intention. So what is the real intention? It is to monopolize politics, it is to monopolize the culture, it is to monopolize the country, like all autocratic parties do. And I explained through history, I was reading book after book of these people who, who survived totalitarianism in one form or another. They all had a similar thread, which was there's almost a mass hypnosis where they offer people free things, where they promise paradise, where they turn people against each other, where they attack the status quo, where they change the language, where they change the belief system and the value system. They want the party, the party, people to be loyal to the party, allegiance to the party, not the country. You can see that throughout America today. And so, again, we can go back to the Civil War. There was no allegiance to the country. They were blowing up the country. Uh, and you can see it throughout. And you can see it today when separation of powers, when each branch has certain powers, how they defy it, how they try to defy it constantly. And so this is a party on the march. This is a party on the move. It's been on the march. It's been on the move for a very long time. It is a chameleon party, that is, You've got to look at this party through the lens of power. That's it. Power at any cost. Your cost. The country's cost. So 100 years ago, or 50 years ago, it was an anti-black racist party. Today it is an anti-white racist party. It was an anti-Semitic party, and it remains an anti-Semitic party. It doesn't believe in equality. It now uses the Marxist term equity. So I explain in the book the history of this party, what it really is, what it's doing to us. And I'm hoping, this is the longest book I've ever written. There's more footnotes in this than any other book I've ever written. I don't need to sell you books. You bought books. <laughs> this book is number one in America. I don't... <clears throat> I don't come here to hawk books. Radio and TV, we sell more books than I could ever sign on any book tour.
That's not the point. I'm on a mission, and I'm always on a mission. Whether it's a book, whether it's radio, whether it's Fox, whether it's Blaze, it doesn't matter to me. I'm blessed with these platforms, and I'm, everybody has a limited lifespan, and I don't want to waste my time doing stupid things <clears throat> and saying stupid things. That's it. Some of us have been put on this earth for certain things. Some of us have been put on earth for a different thing. And so what I'm saying is we talk about what's happening to our country, look at the border, what about the children. Isn't it time that we identify the perpetrator? And the perpetrators, the Democrat Party, everything I just told you, they're for, or were. There were. So we talk about these umbrella groups and so forth, whether it's the Middle East, whether it's movements in Europe. There's an umbrella group in this country. It's called the Democrat Party. The Democrat Party promotes CRT. The Democrat Party uh, promotes uh, teachers' unions getting in between parents and their children. The Democrat Party promotes open borders to destroy our culture. And they're destroying assimilation, because when you destroy our culture, there's not a lot for people to assimilate into. I, I'm not, you know, I'm not uh, Aristotle here explaining how these things take place. They are taking place. And so this, this party, as I say at the end of the book, if we don't crush this party, it's going to crush us. It, Mark, a, a moment ago, you mentioned anti-Semitism, which is a, a horribly timely mention. Uh, we here at the Reagan Foundation, we are very proud of the fact that we have a special exhibit here at the Reagan Library called Auschwitz, not long ago, not far away. Over 700 ar artifacts, 400 photos. You and your family went through it this morning. And do you have any reflections on that? My wife was crying through almost all of it. As we went through this horrific but crucially important uh, tour, and I want to thank the Reagan Library for doing this. Um, I don't know, maybe God was looking down on us. He had this there while what was going on in the Middle East took place. But if you haven't done this, you really need to do it. I always talk about the righteous Gentiles. We Jews are a tiny, tiny percentage of this country. We're even a tinier percentage of the world. And for some reason, for some reason, there's this constant effort to exterminate us. And it comes from these very evil individuals and ideologies. And the same people who seek to exterminate us seek to exterminate our country, whether it's Hitler or whether it's these barbarians, Hamas in the Middle East, because they don't believe the terrorists in the Judeo-Christian belief system. When you read the history of the Islamists, that's what they call themselves, that's what they identified themselves, particularly Hamas um, and these other ones. Uh, they talk about, and the mission statement of Hamas is to eliminate the Jews, to eliminate Christians, eliminate all non-believers. That includes moderate Muslims. That is their mission. And so, to me, the Jews are like the canary in the coal mine. And people need to think about 
it that way. <clears throat> and look at what's going on in our country. To be honest with you, as an American, anti-Semitism, what you just saw in the last week, is now at its pinnacle in the United States. I have never seen anything like this. The victims are the enemy. The type of slaughter and atrocities and genocide that was committed is unspeakable. It's unimaginable. And even when you go through, and I encourage you that Auschwitz tour there, at the end of the war as it was coming, the Nazis were trying to cover up all that they did. These people are sending videos out. Live-time videos. They brought video cameras with them to show the world what they're doing. And then to have the New York Times, CNN, NBC, MSNBC, the BBC, and all the rest of it, to practice moral equivalency, or to even give, well, Hamas says this. Who cares what Hamas says? And I'll be perfectly honest with you, I have some Jewish friends of mine, very significant policy people who worked even in the Trump administration at a high level. And they said, Joe Biden's been really good the last 10 days. <laughs> and I said to this guy, you have to be the biggest dumbass that I've ever met. <laughs> If I may, you have an administration that has rearmed the enemy. The enemy, our enemy, Iran. You have an administration that appointed a nuclear negotiator envoy who is sympathetic to the enemy. And three of his assistants had contacts with the foreign ministry of Iran. They're negotiating on nuclear weapons for us, the United States. You have a president here who lifted Trump's restrictions. Trump was suffocating that country the way Reagan did the Soviet Union. He was choking them economically. The people were rising up because they hate that regime. And he turns to spicken on because he won't enforce the sanctions. And so now they're rearmed. And then, of course, they rearm Hamas and they rearm Hezbollah. This is, a, uh, this is a model for World War III. And we have this little country called Qatar, which plays both sides, which protects the leadership of Hamas. And then we ask it to negotiate for us to get our hostages back. That's like asking Russia to negotiate on the nuclear deal, which he did also. Then we have another country called Turkey that does the same thing. They're in NATO. We have enormous economic power. Qatar has a lot of investments in this country. We don't have to put up with this. This is worse than appeasement. We are literally selling out our own country. We are not making deals with Iran that without blindly making deals and so we are funding Iran, and they haven't cut a drop of that oil today since this has taken place. 
And then one last thing, and I've been talking about this, as you know. And then to watch this and not say, you know, Mr. Secretary DHS, you better secure that damn border. I've changed my mind. Cut it off. And by the way, it is an honor to be here with Governor Wilson. Governor Wilson figured this out a long time ago. <laughs> Governor Wilson figured this out a long time ago for the state of California. And then a judge basically overrode everything. And the, and the, and the gates were thrown wide open. And you don't control your state anymore. Well, this is happening nationwide. So the question, in, in any event, it is very important, because what you'll see in this, this Auschwitz uh, downstairs is the righteous Gentiles who stood up, put their lives on the line, they put their families' lives on the line, they said, wait a minute, that Jew is my neighbor, or, or my cousin, and they hid them, and many of them were found out, tortured, and murdered. And that's why we Jews call Gentiles who stand up for Jews righteous Gentiles. Because it's easy to throw in with the mob. But I am so blessed, and we are all blessed, whatever our backgrounds, to be Americans. Any of us who have been born here by accident, we don't have any control over that. Many of us who come to this country because of its freedom, and that's it just to escape tyranny. This is one of the reasons I've spent my entire life trying to defend our country, our declaration, our constitution, because I know I'm lucky. And we are all lucky, because we could have been born in one of these hell holes and never had a chance. And we cannot, the purpose of the book is we cannot allow that party and all of the different surrogates of that party and the various Marxist movements of that party and all the rest of it, to beat us. We have a revolution going on here in the United States of America, and it's their revolution, not ours. And if we don't put down this revolution with the electoral system, with the legal system, through the cultural system, they will win, and we will lose our country. And Rome... The Republican part of Rome obviously became an, uh, an empire at some point, lasted 457 years. That's it. We're not even 300 years. The question is, will we survive? And that's on the table right now. Right now. Mark, I, I want to ask you about the media, but you, you did mention the historic roots of anti-Semitism, and, and your book covers Franklin Roosevelt. I don't know if you want to get into that at all or not, but this isn't a modern issue in your analysis. Franklin Roosevelt, our history's been rewritten by the left. You know, somehow the Republican Party was responsible for slavery, party of Lincoln, somehow the Republican Party changed all its stripes in the South, and all of a sudden, all the Democrats woke up and said, you know, we're, we're, we're Republicans. And so they immediately switched over to Republicans. You see, none of that ever happened. The Democrat Party doesn't want to own its own history. 
It's racism. It's anti-Semitism. It's the blood on its hands. <clears throat> it's anti-Americanism. Whether it was the Confederacy or whether it's now the Marxist movement, and that America's founding was a white dominant, you know, privilege. And I undo all this in the book. I undo all this in the book. But Franklin Roosevelt, I decided to go, I said, let me deal with him because he's the Democrats' favorite president. And let me read you a little something, if you have a minute. <laughs> and I've never done this, just read from this, but I want to read it to you because, because it matters. You know, he gave a speech at his inauguration in 1933 where twice he mentioned the unscrupulous money changer. That is a trope that's been applied to Jews for 4,000 years. But I want to read something to you. Even more, Roosevelt's purposeful inaction during the Holocaust, and by the way, the New York Times covered up the Holocaust. I wrote an entire book on this. It covered up the Holocaust until 1944. You want to learn about it, you can read that book, because tonight I want to talk about this. <clears throat> his purposeful inaction during the Holocaust to assist Jews being slaughtered by the millions was contemptible and unconscionable. Professor Medoff explains, here is the president who was regarded as a humanitarian, who portrayed himself as the champion of the little man, with the power to save many Jews from the Holocaust, but who, to quote Fowler Harper, the solicitor general, his solicitor general at the Interior Department in the 1940s, he said, Roosevelt would not lift a finger to help the Jews. His was the administration that kept the immigration quotas 90% underfilled, meaning it could have saved 190,000 Jews under existing quotas without changing the immigration laws at all. His was the administration that sent planes to bomb Germany. When you look at the, the, the exhibit here, you'll see the locations. His was the administration that sent planes, I have trouble reading because my left eye, I can't really read well out of my left eye. Um, his was the administration that kept the immigration quotas 90% underfilled, as I said. His was the administration that sent planes to bomb German oil factories less than five miles from the gas chambers at Auschwitz, but refused to instruct them to drop, drop bombs on the gas chambers or the railway lines even after receiving maps and detailed information about what was happening in these camps. His was the administration that refused to pressure the British to open the gates of Palestine so Jews could find refuge there. You know, we talk about indigenous peoples, the West Bank. The word West Bank is a, word, a phrase that began in 1948 after Israel, the Jews were attacked. Transjordan grabbed Judea and Samaria, devoured them, and claimed them as their West Bank. For 4,000 years before that, it was Judea and Samaria. Does Judea rhyme with the word Jew? That's where Judaism started, in Judea and Samaria. Now when Jews go back, they call them settlers. How many of you read the Bible from time to time? Raise your hand. Then show me one place 
where it mentions the Palestinians. Not one. The indigenous peoples over there are the Jews, but they're the only indigenous peoples the left will not recognize. Roosevelt had Jewish associates, however, notably the White House and particularly the State Department were populated with several infamous anti-Semites. At State, where the decisions about immigration and refugee issues were made, Roosevelt nearly always backed the bigots, who blocked the immigration of Jewish refugees into the United States from Germany, the rest of Europe during the height of the Holocaust. In fact, the U.S. immigration quota from Germany was filled for the first time in 1939, almost filled in 1940, and all other years, it was not filled at all. The person directly in charge of the visa process at state was a guy named Samuel Breckenridge Long, whom Roosevelt met and became good friends with uh, when they both worked in the Woodrow Wilson administration. There's another racist. Long became a major donor to Roosevelt's presidential campaign in 1932, was previously rewarded with an ambassadorship to Italy. Long's dispatches to Washington from Rome praised the fascist Mussolini and his regime for its well-paved streets, dapper black-shirted stormtroopers, and punctual trains. In his previous diary, Long, quote, described Hitler's Mein Kampf as eloquent in opposition to Jewry and Jews as exponents of communism and chaos. This is a guy who puts in charge of immigration at the State Department. Long regularly briefed Roosevelt on his efforts to suppress Jewish immigration below the level allowed by existing law. In one diary entry from October 1940, Long mentioned meeting with FBR to discuss, quote, the whole subject of immigration, visas, safety of the United States, procedures to be followed, and, quote, I found that he was 100% in accord with my ideas. He kept a diary. That was in his diary. Not until 1944, when Congress got wind of Long's doings and began to publicly raise concerns, was Long finally demoted and ultimately left the State Department. Throughout his life, FDR made blatantly bigoted private remarks about Jews. Although he's not alone among presidents in this regard, Roosevelt, as Professor Medoff writes, quote, allowed his prejudices to influence his policies regarding America's response to the persecution of European Jewry. Among other things, Roosevelt blamed Polish Jews for anti-Semitism in Poland, spoke of the understandable complaints of the Germans about the prominence of Jews in some professions, this is Roosevelt, boasted to a colleague that we know we have no Jewish blood in our veins, helped bring about a quota on Jewish students submitted to Harvard and recommended that Jews be, quote, spread out thin around the world so they would not dominate any particular economy or culture. This was the great Franklin Roosevelt. And by the way, he didn't lift a finger for blacks either. In 1940, a bipartisan bill hit his desk, a federal law outlawing lynching. He wouldn't sign it because he was running for an unprecedented third term and he didn't want to lose the South. And he appointed a, a former Klansman to the, to the Supreme Court. His first appointee to the Supreme Court was Hugo Black. Hugo Black was a senator from Alabama, a big supporter of FDRs and the New Deal. But before that, he was the lawyer for the Alabama Klan. 
And even though he resigned the Klan in order to get promoted, uh, he kept in touch with the Klan. I could tell you about Joseph Kennedy. I could tell you about the whole Democrat Party hierarchy. So what is my point? My point is this party, which gets away with pretending that it represents blacks and Jews and the little people and all the rest of it. Franklin Roosevelt, who's promoted because he was a socialist who undermined the constitutional system. This party has been a grave and dangerous entity within our midst for over 150 years, as it is today with open borders, pushing what I call civil rights Marxism, not civil rights. Civil rights now is to be viewed through the ideology of equity and redistribution of wealth, Marxism. It is the party that, even now, when it comes to Hamas and it comes to these other things going on in the Middle East, they will defend Joe Biden's continuing rearming of our enemy. Could you imagine Iran with a nuclear weapon today? Well, you better, because we don't have a plan to stop it. And they are moving forward. And last week, they lift the cap under the Obama nuclear deal, which now allows Iran to make and buy and sell and transport missiles. The cap was lifted by the Security Council. Did you hear a peep from Biden about this? Not a word. This and, is worse and Mark, than you make the point yeah. in, the, in your book about the media as well. So, Page 29, you say, the Democrat Party as the state party is supported by a state media that poses as a free press. Now, we have a free market. What's the market failure here? How come half the country, you know, as, as has been said, doesn't have a media that reflects the half, that, that half? Because we don't have a market system when it comes to the press, really. <clears throat> We talk about a market system when it comes to the press, and there are burgeoning. We have Salem here. The president of Salem is a fantastic man who's been taking them on for decades. We have uh, Ed Atzinger. You can, you can see Fox. You can see uh, Blaze. You can see the Daily Wire, the Daily Caller, and so forth and so on. But the big multi-billion dollar, other than Fox, Corporate media are one way and one side, and they always have been. We have what I call these, these, uh, these sort of camouflage things that go on. So we pretend we have a free press, we have a state press. And so when a Republican's in office, they try and sabotage the Republican. Why? Because the Democrat Party and the Democrat media want the same thing. They want monopoly control over the civil society. So they want monopoly control over the information you receive. They want monopoly control over how we vote, which is why they keep changing the systems. They want monopoly control over what the citizenship in the country will be. They want monopoly control over the economy. It's an autocratic party. And that's, by the way, why I call it the Democrat Party hates America. I don't call it the Democratic Party. There's nothing democratic about them. Moreover, when they learn to define what a woman is, then I'll call them the Democratic Party. <clears throat> so, Mark, taking a, a further step back, you mentioned big media. You, your book also specifically points out corporatists. 
And what, why don't you share with us what, what that means, what drives them, and, and big business is often painted as pro-Republican, but the, your book make, tells a very different story. You know, in Liberty and Tyranny, I don't know how long ago that was, I reintroduced a word that Aristotle and others have called statist. And I remember my editor, who was a liberal, saying, what's a statist? And we laugh about that today, but nobody talked about it back then. This word corporatist isn't a word I invented, but it's a word that hadn't been used for like half a century. So I reintroduced that. Words have meaning. <clears throat> so I reintroduced that word. We're not talking about free market businesses here. We're talking about corporatists where the board's been taken over by the left, where their policies have been taken over by DEI and HR departments that push a particular program and ideology, where in order to get a job, you gotta meet certain uh, uh, standards and so forth and all. So the corporatists during FDR's presidency mimicked what FDR wanted them to do. The corporatists today do the same thing with the Democrat Party. So we're not the party of big business. Big business doesn't stand by those of us who believe in limited constitutional government. They're in Washington at the public trough, making all these demands and everything, so forth and so on. We are the free market conservatives. We are the ones who want competition. We are the ones that talk about individual liberty and entrepreneurship and all the rest of it. You can see during the pandemic what these blue states, your state did right here, they went after small business, they crushed them, they went after religious institutions, they crushed them, anybody who stepped out of line, if you didn't wear a mask, when you were told to wear a mask, you could be arrested even on the beach. Uh, that was, that, that's what you saw, that's what's going on. And the only real corporations, some of them made a fortune, were like the big warehouse stores, they made a ton of money. The uh, ABC stores, when they were shutting down, you know, gun shops, they were opening. Well, you could get stores. liquor but not go to church. That's right? correct. Yeah. And so you can see, during that period of time, the corporations threw in with them on vaccines, on masks, on everything else you can think of. So these are people I call corporatists. They could live with socialism if they make a profit. They can live with whatever they want. They could make a profit. That's not us. That undermines everything. You know, uh, you showed us in the exhibit the exit, the, it's very upsetting, you should go look at it. The, uh, the door that opened, basically to take the ashes out of the yeah. people who were burning the The, the cremation machine, the cremation. basically. And there was a corporation that had its logo on it. They were proud of it. They had their logo on the, on the, on the and the door that you would open and take a shovel and take out the remains, the ashes, of the people they were shoving in. And, and the people who built that cremation device knew it wasn't to cremate individuals. It was for mass cremation. Mass cremation. So they knew what it would be used for. So, <clears throat> so to me, we got to get down to basics. So I'll give you another example of what's going on in this country. I'm rambling, but I do that from time to time. You know. <clears throat> We having fun with the rambles? Yeah. <laughs> Every fascist, Marxist, whatever you want to call it, regime goes through these phony trials of their political opponents. Some of them go through them very quickly, some of them take their time. 
We have a situation in Washington, D.C. There's a judge who wears a black robe. There's a prosecutor who works at the Department of Justice. Prosecutor's not supposed to hunt people down. The prosecutor's supposed to do justice. If they see something that's wrong, they're not supposed to pursue it. Then you have a jury, 12 citizens, your peers. Right now, as I speak, we're going through the motions of having a judicial system in Washington, D.C. The judge is a radical, Obama-appointed Marxist hack. Chunkin is her name. The prosecutor, oddly enough, they bring him back from The Hague, was prosecuting people involved in genocide. Out of all the people to pick, they pick the most reckless prosecutor who hunts down his opponents the way they did in Stalin's Soviet Union. He's the prosecutor. And the jury will be made up of 12 individuals from a city that voted 4% for Trump. What the hell is that? Are we kidding ourselves? You're going through the motions of a legitimate court system, the motions of a legitimate trial, and now there's a gag order that almost everybody except the hardcore left is saying, you can't gag him from criticizing the prosecutor. And um, I look at this, and I say to myself, half the country thinks this is great. 98% of the media thinks it's fantastic. Because we're losing our country. We're losing the institutions. This has been going on much longer than people want to realize. And, uh, and so my aunts, people always say, well, what can we do? What can we do? If I had an answer, I'd give it to you, like that. But it takes a lot of work. And I say on my radio show, what do you mean, what can we do? What are you going to do? So here's what I start with, my premise. Thomas Paine is my premise. Thomas Paine came to the rescue of the Revolutionary War. We were losing that war. The most powerful military on the face of the earth, the British. And by the way, during the course of that war, George Washington couldn't have won more than three or four battles. The last one being Yorktown. We were losing that war. And so Washington reads Valley Forge, Thomas Paine's pamphlet, to soldiers, which are mostly militia, colonists, not hard military. And it inspired them so much. The idealism of it, the spirit of it, the tenacity, that it had an enormous effect. There were two and a half million people that lived wasn't the United States back then, in America back then. A quarter of a million read the pamphlet. And he wasn't the only pamphleteer, but it made a huge difference. What I've tried to do with this book, I'm no Thomas Paine. I got it. I'm not even trying to pretend. That's irrelevant. This is a call to people who want to save this country. Because if we don't know who's responsible for what's taking place, we're all over the map running around like chickens without our heads. What about this on the border? What about this? What about this? What about this? It took over two centuries to build this great nation. 
over two centuries, to have a rule of law, to have an equal justice system, to have sovereignty, to build an industrial powerhouse, to find energy, to use energy, to have what was a top-notch educational system in our country. And it's taken three years to destroy. 250 years to create it, three years to destroy it. That's where we are. All of us have people in our family who have fought and died for this country. We have men and women today who are overseas, some in secret, some not in secret, who are serving our country, some are dying for our country. These institutions aren't built overnight. The whole civil society is under attack, whether it's in our cities, our classrooms, the Ivy League, in our media, the Democrat Party. It's all under attack. It didn't just happen. Nothing just happens. This is man-made. And it's been building for decade after decade after decade, and now the revolution is upon us. And when you destroy a country from within, your enemies see exactly what's going on. That's why Russia invaded Ukraine. That's why Iran, Hamas, and Hezbollah are trying to wipe out the Jews. That's why China will invade Taiwan. But at the same time all of this is going on, we're hollowing out our all-volunteer military that can't meet its numbers. We have a 19% increase in the budget for the EPA, a 3% for the military, which doesn't even keep up with inflation. We are spread thin everywhere. The enemy sees this. They see that we have this woke stuff going on in the military, that the nation is not psychologically prepared to even defend itself, that we're breeding weakness in our colleges, outright hostility in our colleges. They have a president who's a complete disaster in every respect. In the Middle East three years ago, Peace was breaking out everywhere. People couldn't believe it. Israel and five Arab Muslim countries had peace deals. Saudi Arabia was the next one in line. Iran was teetering. Hamas didn't dare fire a bullet at the Israelis. Hezbollah, we didn't hear from them. Three years later, you have genocide, you have atrocities, you have war, you have these things going on. Russia always wanted to invade Ukraine, but they didn't. I'll tell you a little secret, although I guess this is being broadcast, so I won't tell you a little secret. <coughs> President Trump once said to me, I won't give you the whole thing, but he once said to me about Taiwan. He said, we're not losing Taiwan on my watch. I can blanking, blanking, blanking assure you of that. <laughs> More from our Reagan Forum with Mark Levin after these messages. The Ronald Reagan Presidential Foundation is the nonprofit organization created by President Reagan himself and specifically charged by him 
with continuing his legacy and sharing his principles, individual liberty, economic opportunity, global democracy, and national pride. We must remain vigilant and work together to share these conservative principles with younger generations. Your role is critical to move our mission forward. Thank you for your continued support. Please visit reaganfoundation.org give. That's reaganfoundation.org give. Now back to our Reagan Forum with Mark Levin. So we're going to go to questions. So please have your questions ready. We're going to go to the mezzanine first. And uh, they're mic runners. And we, it's important that you speak into the mic for your question. Uh, while we're doing that, um, I will point out, Mark mentioned George Washington, his tremendous leadership. The 242nd anniversary of the victory in Yorktown was a few days ago. Brett Baer is actually going to talk on this stage next week about uh, George Washington and his leadership. So if anyone is interested, please, and please consider And he's very good coming. at it. That book is great that he has. Yeah. So we're going to go up to the mezzanine. I am blinded by the light, but uh, I see there's a microphone over there. So let's see where the first question is coming from, and then we'll come downstairs. Okay, right over there. Hi, Mark. I was wondering, uh, the way you're describing it, who determines who the domestic enemy Democrats are? I took an oath to defend the Constitution against enemies, foreign and domestic, and I figure there's no attorney that's going to, especially Judge Chunkin or someone like that, I go to them and say, hey, they're uh, domestic enemies. And your book nails it, but I think uh, domestic enemy describes them as well. Well, I'll tell you this. Some of the things that need to be done to deal with domestic enemy broadly is this. Why do we keep funding these colleges and universities the way that we fund them? They don't have a God-given right to hundreds of billions of dollars. Your state legislatures, particularly Republican states, should be slashing them. Congress, the Republicans in the House and Senate should be talking about this as a major issue. We give them grants, we give them billions and billions of dollars. There's no oversight, and they're allowed to run free. That's got to end, and that's got to end as fast as possible. That's number one. Number two, why aren't we going through these student visa lists to see who's here. Yeah. And, ready for this? Any student here from the Middle East or other countries with affiliations to the Middle East need to be very carefully vetted. That's the way it is, and that's the way it needs to be. Yeah. Immigration. The whole concept of immigration is people are invited to come to this country if they will strengthen our country. Our representatives are supposed to, and that includes the president, are supposed to represent the citizenry. People do not have a right to come here. They don't have a right to make demands. They don't have a right to form groups like Students for Justice in Palestine, which is funded by Hamas and other terrorist groups 
to try and take down our country and infiltrate our educational system. There was a meeting in Philadelphia in 1993 by Hamas. We know all about that meeting because the old FBI had wiretaps in this meeting. And they heard these guys conspiring. <clears throat> They're Hamas, terrorists from the Middle East, conspiring on how they were going to get money into this country. And they set up a group called the Holy Land Foundation. Money to come in, get money to go to Hamas in the Middle East from the United States. And what did they find out? They wanted to infiltrate the colleges and universities? Well, they've done it. They wanted to infiltrate the media and influence the media? Well, they've done it. Those people on the streets that you see protesting, some of them are stupid millennials from our colleges and universities. But a lot of them are the Students for Justice in Palestine and other groups. They have a whole network in this country. It's been written about. They had the wiretaps in on the meeting. <clears throat> and one of the groups is CARE. And CARE used to work with the Democrats, used to work with the FBI, used to work with all of them. It used to try and get conservative talk show hosts fired until I said one day, you fire me because of these bastards. I will sue their ass and I will conduct discovery. I will not settle and I'll show you where every dime comes from for this group, every text, every email, every wire transfer. And so they stopped going after conservative radio hosts because... And Mark, the, the challenge is bigger than that even because of the Confucius centers, right, which you've talked about. You look about. at these collars, you've got, you've got all these foreign governments represented on our colleges and universities. You actually have one guy that was in that meeting I just told you about who's a tenured professor in the United States. So we need to look at all this stuff. We don't have to tolerate the demise of our own country like this. So there's a lot of things we can do, school choice, so we can break up the teachers' unions and the, and, the, uh, and, and the indoctrination now that's going on in our classrooms and everything else. We need to stand with liberty and competition. Liberty and constitution and, and uh, competition and start to cut off the money train to all of these individuals and entities that seek to destroy us. But with respect to the Democrat Party, it's time that we take our history back, use our knowledge, and go after them, which is the point of this book. This book's title was so controversial that maybe your Barnes & Noble has the book, but many Barnes & Noble don't carry the book. Uh, what was that, that other place that tried? Target tried. So I went after them on the radio, and then within 24 hours, they backed off. <clears throat> so, Mark, a, a, an underlying theme, just to piece it all together, is people need he to fight back. He has to piece it together because I'm flailing around. No, no, but yeah, fight, fight, it, fight back. There are right. things we can do that we do not have to tolerate that don't require a whole lot. Right. But it requires knowledge. It requires who are these people. For instance, when I and others debate this party, we need to expose them everywhere in every way we can. But more than that, we are an army of tens of millions of patriots who love this country. We don't want to fundamentally transform America. We want to fundamentally defend America. There's a lot you can do. 
if you have the guts and the knowledge to do it. You're in many settings, with family and friends, at clubs, at church, at synagogue. Don't be a wallflower. You don't have to be obnoxious, but don't be a wallflower. You have got to be the Thomas Paines. You need to be the ones who say things about the history of the Democrat Party and so forth and so on. Now, I want to be clear about something. That doesn't mean I'm a special pleader for the Republican Party. The Republican Party may fight with itself. It may look stupid. And you're critical in the book I'm about critical, and it might be weak. But it's all we've got. You can try and form your third party. It doesn't work. They win. And we can't follow morons in the Republican Party either who dress up as conservatives. We just can't do it. Mark, Mark we had a question. I right just here. want to finish this point yeah. with the Republican Party. I get these senators on my show and say, I say, you don't even know the history of the Democrat Party. You get up there, they call you racist, and you wilt. Okay, okay, I'm not saying that, I, you know, I'm not, what are you doing? They're the racists, start to spell it out. Joe Biden is a racist and a bigot, and he always has been a racist and a bigot. And your book points out some of the, the awful things. It's all in there. Out. All you got to do is read it and tell everybody that you can see. Right. <clears throat> right over there, please. My question is to you. What's going on, your thoughts regarding the House of Representatives that can know, that cannot for a stalemate at electing a Speaker of the House, started off with uh, McCarthy, small group of re, uh, Republicans, Cats, other people from Florida, and some other group of eight, mix that down. Then okay, what's your came, question? Uh, Jordan, <laughs> Jordan, and so forth. Yeah. I mean, how does that how does that reflect amongst the voters and amongst the American people that the House of Representatives, the majority of Republicans, That's a very... can, cannot get it together to elect a Speaker of the House? It's a very important question. Let me explain it this way. Let's look at these eight. We're Mr. and Mrs. Conservative. I can't think of a single thing Matt Gates has ever done for the conservative movement. Not one. <clears throat> Not one. If you know one, then get behind that microphone and tell me what it is. Number two, Andy Biggs out of Arizona. How many of you support Convention of States? When he was president of the state senate in Arizona, he blocked it. When he left and went to Congress, a conservative woman replaced him, and it went right through the state legislature, and Arizona is one of the 20 states that has signed up for a convention of states because he left. What about Nancy Mace? Nancy Mace got mad because she couldn't get a pro-abortion, pro-gun control bill to the floor of the House of Representatives. That's three. What about the guy in Tennessee, this guy Boucher? Anybody ever heard of him? Raise your hand. What has he done? 
He got mad because McCarthy wouldn't appoint him chairman of the UFO committee to oversee <laughs> UFOs. That's a fact. What about Ken Buck? Ken Buck is, has voted against everyone for everything. And because he wants to work at CNN, where he's welcome with open arms. That's five. I can't remember the other three. The conservatives are in the Freedom Caucus. That's where they are. That's where Chip Roy is. That's where Byron Donalds is. That's where McClintock is. That's where all these people are. What did they do? They negotiated a deal with Ted Cruz and Mike Lee and the conservatives in the Senate. They got the rhinos of the Republicans to agree to it, which was a 30% cut in domestic discretionary spending, 30% and to secure the border as an appendage to the spending bill. This was what negotiated with the Senate conservatives who were trying to get McConnell to move, and these eight killed it. Now where are we? They're thinking about negotiating with Hakeem Jeffries. I said this would happen. They don't have a plan. They don't have a backup. And if they elect Emmers, Emmers is much more liberal than McCarthy was. As Chip Roy said to me, sometimes we have to take a win, we conservatives. And that was a win. I hope I answered your question. <laughs> Next question, right over here. Mark, on behalf of my wife, myself, and I'm sure this audience, we say thank you so much for being here and the patriot that you are. My name is Kevin McNamee. I'm the mayor of the city of Thousand Oaks. And I'm, you kind of teed up my question. I'm leading up the charge here in California for school choice called the Children's Educational Opportunity Act. Instead of all the money going directly to the public school, parents have the opportunity to set up an education savings account for $17,000 every year, kindergarten through 12th grade. Any money left over after 12th grade can be used for community college, trade tech, university, post-grad for the rest of the child's life. And after 18 years of age, that person can transfer their money over to an education savings account of a family member. It's in the Attorney General's office right now for title and summary. My greatest challenge right now is educating the California people of this opportunity. Funding is tough to ask for. Any suggestions for someone like myself heading this up to get donors to contribute to the Children's Educational Opportunity Act? I look forward to your answer. Thank you, sir. First of all, that sounds like a great act. It really does. And uh, just so you know my background a little bit, at Landmark Legal Foundation, we worked first with Milton Friedman and uh, a couple other of these legal groups, brought this first case in Wisconsin. The governor was Tommy Thompson. And we got it in Milwaukee. And it was challenged by State Teachers Union, the Federal Teachers Union, the uh, NAACP, you name it, everybody else, and we won. We went to the State Supreme Court and we won. We had to go to the U.S. Supreme Court twice and we won. So the path has been laid for this. I don't know how to answer your question because if I were to tell you I can mention it on Fox, that's not going to reach 90% of the people in California. It's just not. <clears throat> And the other half won't even understand English, to be perfectly honest with you. 
really needs to be, even though each locality and state, it needs to be a priority of the biggest, strongest donors we have in this country. Because everybody's attacking the educational system, except us. In other words, which the only big light that I see is parents on their own, taking their kids out of these schools, homeschooling their kids, setting up all these other things, which is great, particularly in the suburbs, but in the inner cities, they can't do these things. So I don't have an easy answer for you. I wish I did. You need some really big fat cats to get behind this movement, because it's going to cost a ton to buy television time in your major cities in this state. It's just a remarkable amount of money. And then the teachers' union have an endless, you know, they just, they just whack their members for dues and so forth. So we're in, in our end game. We have a, a few minutes left and a couple questions. So we're going to go here, and then we're going to go up to the mezzanine, and then I'll close. Go ahead. Mark. Can't see. It's right there. Yes, sir. Um, I grew up in a Hollywood um, Democratic family. My mother told me, Democrat the whole way. And I did that for my whole life. Then tr President Trump won. And I, I couldn't understand why the uh, media and everything else, they were so against him. I'm like, what is going on here? And I didn't quite get it. And then a couple Hannity episodes, I saw you get, get on the Hannity episodes, and you were just killing it for about five minutes. And, and then Hanny would like cut you off, like, I'm not done. But, you know. And I'm like, who is this man? And he's making a lot of sense. And then I really started listening, and then I started listening to your podcast, and I'm like, wow. It changed my mind. I have a lot of friends that are Democrats. I've been talking to them, like, listen, listen to this podcast as you make your own decisions. And, but my question is, I am very concerned because I feel the Republican Party is very weak. I think there's a lot of, I can't believe what's going on now. They don't understand what the Democrats are up to and, and the evil that's happening right now. You've got Republicans that are, are screwing around with all kinds of, like, they're asking all kinds of questions about, you know, the, uh, the speaker. And my question to you is, can we possibly win with the Democrats having the media? And not just the media, but they have everything behind them, the Hollywood, and even the Republicans are fighting against us. Can we win? <laughs> Can we win? Yes. Look, here's the bottom line. If we're at war with each other, we're not going to win. We're the second biggest party in the country. So if we can't get our act together and get behind one candidate who's the nominee, we're going to lose. So it gets complicated because we do have certain people, let's say it's Trump, who are not going to get behind Trump. If it's DeSantis, we, people say they're not going to get behind DeSantis. Okay, then Biden's going to be the next president again. And I'm going to tell you something else. These 25, I talked about the eight, 
these 25 so-called moderates who just voted against Jim Jordan because they're worried about the Democrats in their purple districts? They're not going to have to worry about the Republicans in their purple districts. And if they lose Republicans, they're out. That's why I'm so disgusted with what took place. I was probably the only conservative talk show host who said, don't do this. Because people get emo. I said, you know what? The Confederacy got all worked up. And there's George Pickett that leads him right up the hill. What happened at Pickett's charge? Basically, that was the end of the Confederacy. It took a little while, but that was it. So people like, run up the hill. I said, what are you doing? You have the most conservative proposal on the table of my lifetime. I don't care if it comes from Kevin MacArthur or an orange juice can. Why does it matter? There it is. <clears throat> and I'm not here to follow somebody who's, tr who's trying to settle personal scores. That's not me. And so I had one host say to me, he said, you're way out of link with the base. said, don't you worry about me. You either lead or you're just another dumb talk show host. That's it. <clears throat> but to answer your question, if we can't beat this guy for the, for the poverty that he's causing in this country, for the open borders, for the crime, for what he's doing to our classrooms, the, 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 the amount of debt that we're acquiring, what's going on overseas. If we can't beat this guy, we can't beat anybody. All right, second to last question, up on the mezzanine. Mr. Levin, um, it's no secret you could have retired a long time ago but there's clearly a lot of fire still left in that belly. So I think I speak on behalf of everybody when I wonder, when are you going to be the next AG? Or when, how do you feel about politics? That's the real question. How do you feel about it? Well, Governor, Senator, you think I could get confirmed? <laughs> I'll tell you what I'd love. You know what? I have these weird dreams. I don't have any expectations, I'm not interested, but just nominate me for one hearing. That's all, one hearing, and when I'm finished with what I can say, I could say, screw you, get up and walk out. <laughs> so, Mark, you, you worked for Ronald Reagan. There are 24 references to Ronald Reagan in your book. As we conclude our evening, what do people need to know about Ronald Reagan today? What do young people who didn't live through the Reagan presidency, what do they need to know about Ronald Reagan, and how should they go deeper? I count Ronald Reagan as the third greatest president in American history. Washington, Lincoln, Reagan. And I'll tell you why. And I will tell you why. Some of you are too young. God, I'm that old. Some of you are too young to remember this, <clears throat> but the economy was cratering. I mean cratering. We had inflation at 21%. Now imagine that. Uh, we had uh, massive unemployment. It, was, it reached like 12%. We had, uh, there was no growth occurring in the country. We had this horrific recession with inflation. We hadn't had it before. We weren't sure what to do about it. People had lost hope in this country. And there were food lines. 
And there were homeless. And the media was sure to show us to it. This was Carter, another guy who believed in fundamental transformation. Reagan had to build up the United States economy and take on the Soviet Union, which was on the move in our hemisphere, in Central America, in Europe, in Africa, because they saw weakness. They saw Carter. Carter brought in um, the Iranian dictatorship that exists today. They chased off the Shah of Iran. You had the communists on the move in Nicaragua. You had the communists on the move in Cuba, Angola, other parts. Afghanistan. Afghanistan. And in comes Reagan. And when Reagan left office, the Soviet Union was basically dead. We had the greatest growth in economic history in American history. The economy grew so big and so fast without inflation that our economy grew 25% under Ronald Reagan. We'd never seen anything like this in American history. People were patriotic. People were excited. People felt great about their country again. We could do this. This country does work. He built up the United States military like it had never been built up before. Nobody even thought about shooting a paperclip at this country. <laughs> Nobody. And that's what it takes. We were at a very, very bad place. And he reversed it in every respect. To defeat the Soviet Union, which no president could do before him, they all talked about containment. You had Kissinger here recently, detente and containment. Reagan ran for office. He said, no, victory. We win, they lose. We win, they lose. And we won. <clears throat> 30 seconds. Take your time. And I have to tell you, just personally, I became chief of staff to Ed Meese. I don't know why, but it was a blessing for sure. Ed Meese is in Virginia today, as smart as he ever was, as sharp as he ever was. And he had a terrible st stroke, as did Ursula. He has his knees replaced. He's pretty much housebound. But they came after Meese. They came after Meese. They came after Meese. They wanted to destroy him. And Reagan never relented in his loyalty and support for Ed Meese. There were two independent counsels conducting bogus criminal investigations, one on Iran-Contra, one on WEDTEC. To show you what kind of a man Mies and Reagan were, Mies says to me as chief of staff, he says, nobody, I'm going to resign. I said, why are you going to resign? He said, because I don't want to hurt George Bush's presidential race. I don't want them focusing on me. I've never told this story, but it's true. I was in his office with him alone. I said, but you haven't done anything. He said, it doesn't matter. I'm the subject, day in and day out, night after night. And so he decided to resign. <clears throat> and right before he did, he went to the Oval Office. President Reagan was there. Nancy Reagan was there. Vice President Bush was there. I was there. Ken Cribb, his counselor was there, his administrative assistant was there, I think that was it. 
And Mies had lost his son during the time he was attorney general. And his other son and wife, they lost their baby, his grandson, when he was attorney general. And President Reagan was always very compassionate to them. And so I was there just standing, <clears throat> and President Reagan says to Ed Meese, I'm sorry, Ed. Ed Meese said, why? Because they were coming after me, and they needed to go through you. That's the kind of man Ronald Reagan was. And that's the kind of man Ed Meese is. Bigger than their office. Great patriots. You don't see this today. And I can also tell you, as Chief of Staff to Ed Meese, he never leaked. He despised the media. Because people all around him were leaking. Ronald Reagan hated the media, too. Nancy Reagan even more than him. But, <clears throat> but that's the way it worked. Ronald Reagan was a very compassionate man. He was extraordinarily intelligent. All the books I cite, whether, whoever it is, de Tocqueville, Locke, uh, you can go on Adam Smith, Montes, he read all that stuff. They found it later in his, his personal home on his shelves. He knew what he wanted to do when he came into office. He knew what he wanted to do at the Soviet Union. <clears throat> he knew what he wanted to do for the country. And he did it, and he left. He was a great, great man and president. So I'm here because this is the place that honors Ronald Reagan. And there's a bench out there, right in the center spot, with my parents' name on it, they passed away, in loving memory, that oversees the sun, when it comes up and when it comes down, John. And that's why it's there, because we, we honor Ronald Reagan, who was not just a president, he was a statesman, he was a warrior, and he was a leader. He was a great, great man. Ladies and gentlemen, let's thank Mark. Thank you. The Democratic Party Hates America was Mark Levin's eighth book and his eighth visit to the Reagan Library, as he has been gracious enough to do a program and book signing for each of his books on our campus. All eight of his programs can be watched on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash reaganfoundation. Signed copies of the Democratic Party Hates America can be purchased through the Reagan Library Museum Store. Every purchase you make from our catalog, website, or museum store is a critical component to our success. In short, your purchase supports our efforts to extend the legacy of President Ronald Reagan. Purchases can be made at reaganlibrary.com store. To find a listing of all upcoming events, please visit reaganfoundation.org events. Thank you for listening. 
For more information on the Ronald Reagan Presidential Foundation and Institute, including information on how to become a member, information on upcoming exhibits at the Reagan Library, and more information on the legacy of President Reagan, please visit reaganfoundation.org. And don't forget to like and follow the Reagan Foundation on all social media platforms. Until next week, thanks for listening, and God bless you. Don't forget to subscribe to A Reagan Forum podcast in your iTunes or Google Play stores and on other podcast platforms as they become available. New episodes of A Reagan Forum come out every Thursday. Like what you hear? Check out our Words to Live By podcast featuring radio addresses and speeches Ronald Reagan delivered from the 1960s through the 1980s. New episodes drop every Tuesday. And don't forget to follow at Ronald Reagan on Facebook, at Ronald Reagan on Twitter, and Reagan Foundation on YouTube. Also, search for us on SoundCloud and Stitcher.